Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In the late 1930s, China is in dire straits. The country will collapse under Japan's military jargonut if it doesn't get outside help. Chinese-American firebrand Li Lingai jolts Americans into action with a, with a new medium, a 16-millimeter chrotochrome color film. She hires for photojournalist Ray Scott to travel to China and capture a citizen's perspective of the war-torn country, including massive bombing of the wartime capital, Chongqing. In this re- remarkable documentary, Finding Kukan, it is a film about period in history, a perception of a people, and of a remarkable woman in the in the person of Li Lingai. And we're joined today by the director of the film, Finding Kukan, and that would be Robin Lung. Robin, welcome to film school. Thank you, Mike. It's wonderful to be there, or here. <laughs> wonderful to be here. <laughs> well, welcome. And uh, it is, uh, this is quite uh, a find. Um, Like so many wonderful, well-done documentaries, uh, to find out about something that you had no idea existed, but also in, and in the case, in this case with you, watching you, we are witness to your journey as well in this film uh, about this quest to find these answers that that, uh, surrounding her life. Tell me a little bit about how all of this got started. Well, I was really looking for a character to portray in my first feature documentary, and I wanted to portray a strong woman from Hawaii. And I had looked at other women um, in the past, and I really um, got entranced with this fictional character, a Chinese-American detective from these vintage mystery novels. And she was this fabulous character that was supposedly based on a real-life woman or a few real-life women. And I thought, well, if I could figure out who those women were, I might have a character that could carry a documentary. And in my research, I ran across this fascinating character named Li Lingai. She had written a memoir about her parents, and the jacket flap of the book had an author biography that mentioned she had worked on an Academy Award-winning film called Kukan. And that, of course, as a filmmaker, that set my, you know, my curiosity afire, and I needed to know more about this woman. And that's really how it started. Yeah, it is a fascinating story uh, that, I, if I'm not mistaken, it is the first documentary ever awarded an Academy Award in the, in the category of documentary filmmaking. Is that yeah, it is um, we, the first American feature to receive an Academy Award, and it was given out in February of 1942. And historians um, listening will know that Pearl Harbor was bombed December of 1941, and America entered World War II. And the Academy realized the importance of documentary filmmaking and the impact documentary films could have in the future. And this was something that 
was begun as sort of an experimental category. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things that we don't really go into in our film, but that in um, you know is uh, a backstory to it, is that the academy selected a number of feature documentaries to land in the best feature documentary category, but they didn't have any parameters as to how to judge these documentaries. And one was actually more like a docudrama target for tonight, and then Kukan was like the kind of verite filmmaking we're used to today. And mm-hmm. since the, ca- the um, members couldn't decide like what a documentary was and they liked both films, they decided instead of awarding a Best Feature Documentary that year, they would give both of those films special awards. So I think one of the reasons Kukan fell through the ca- cracks and became lost over time is that it didn't really have that Best Feature Documentary category on it. And hmm. when the Academy started as- uh, amassing all of the Best Documentaries that had won Academy Awards, they realized that was the only one that was missing from their collection. And... Um, hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it really is a, kind of an outlier in a way. Oh, in so many ways, in so many ways. And um, so, where did you where did you feel like? What was the the first step you took once you saw you looked at the book, you read the the jacket, saw what an interesting person uh, uh, Ling Liai was? Where where do you start to pull on that thread to start this process moving forward? Well. I went immediately to Google and looked up Kukan, and I had I read the article that the curator of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences had written about Kukan, and you know the big thing that jumped out at me is no known copy of this film exists, mm-hmm. and I also read more about Li Ling Ai, and she just seemed like such a colorful, fascinating woman, and she lived in my home island of Oahu, mm. and I had never known about her before. So I started you know, asking around about her, and I started interviewing family members. So I got in contact with some of her family members who are still living, because Li Ling I, unfortunately, had passed away before I discovered her. And... Um, so that's really how I started the okay. investigation. Well, the fortunate thing was that there was an extended interview with her done in, I think, New York. A New York TV station had done something on her. Um, do you know why they did? Was What was it about? Because I'm, we're going to get to this uh, later on, but she had wasn't just her filmmaking in relation to what we're going to talk about with Kukon, but... She had such a rich life, and you alluded to it with the book, but uh, was that the reason that the New York filmmakers sort of uh, did that interview with her? Was it because of her life, or was it because of the film, or what What was it about that? Do you, do you have any insight into that? Well, yeah, so one of the, you know, I look at Li Ling Ai as a pioneer media maker, because mm-hmm. she was involved in so many aspects of media, not just filmmaking, but television, radio, book publishing, she lectured all over the country. And one of the interesting things that she did was she worked for Robert Ripley of Believe It or Not fame. He's the guy who did those um, cartoon trivia 
cartoons that landed in the paper every day, believe it or not, cartoons. And he had a TV and, show. He had a TV show as well. Yeah, he was one of the most famous men in America in the 1930s. He had a television show. He had a radio show. Yeah. He was one of the first people who went live on television nationwide right. on NBC. He had a weekly television yeah. show. I've even seen and, clips. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. But I, I, I've even yeah. seen clips, and his the big tagline is, Ripley's Believe It or Not. He had this very dramatic way of announcing whatever it was that they were talking about. So quite a colorful character. Yeah, he was a world traveler, and he collected all these oddities and you know trivia from around the world. And he really ed- helped educate Americans about you know other countries and you know the pyramids and mm-hmm. the Suez Canal and all these things. So, uh, or the Panama Canal, I mean. But he. Um, and Li Ling I met during the making of Kukan. She moved to New York City in 1940, and he was a big shot there, and he was very interested in China. He loved anything Chinese and had traveled to China in the 30s. And so he was naturally interested in this film, and Li Ling I presented, I think, a rough cut of the film for a fundraising event that he attended, and they had an instant, you know, he had an instant attraction to Li Ling Ai, and he offered to hire her for the Believe It or Not um, program to investigate Far Eastern stories. Mm. So she was working for him for about nine years, the very ending of his life, the last nine years of his life. And in 1993, Turner Broadcasting decided to do a documentary about Robert Ripley, so they sent a television crew to Li Ling Ai's apartment in New York City. She was 85 years old, but she had a fabulous memory, and she was a great storyteller. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I knew her relatives had said, well, she was on this television show back in the 90s. You should try to look for that. And I tracked down the post-production manager of that show, and he found for me the raw interview tapes nice. that had been done with Li Ling Ai, and there were two hours worth of interview tapes that they had saved. Well, So that was a gold mine for absolutely. me. It was you know, really what makes my film Finding Kukan spark, because you actually get to see Li Ling Ai speak, and you get a sense of what a firebrand she must have been when she was a young woman. Because <laughs> at 85, she's still like... You know, lights the screen on fire. She really does, and she's so interesting and so fascinating. I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with the director and producer and writer of the film Finding Kukan, that would be Robin Lung, and you can go to findingkukan.com and find out more about the film, screenings, and also, if you're so inclined, uh, they are. Uh, we're looking for uh, a little extra money to get the film distributed, um, well, I, I want people to see Finding Kukan, so I don't want to delve all crazy into every aspect of your film because it's, it's in the discovery. But we have to, if we're going to talk about the film, we have to talk about uh, Ray. Talk about her sort of, the, the uh, tell us a little bit about her, the man she hired. Because I think we have to say it the way it is. Uh, Li Ling, I was the producer 
of this documentary, whether or not she got credit for it. Is that, am I overstating that? Is that, is that something that's, well, that's accepted now or, or not in terms of? It's, it's something, the credit for Leeling Eye in Kukan, the Academy Award winning movie, is a technical advisor. That's how she's credited in the, the movie, the 1941 movie. Right. And one of the things that I explore in finding Kukan is whether or not Leeling Eye deserved more credit for Kukan than she got. And it's a spoiler to say, yes, she was a producer, but I, I, all I want to say is that I did find out that she, in fact, did a lot more for the film than she was credited for. Right. And I would leave it up to the viewers of the film as they watch it to make their own judgment about that, about, you know, should she be credited as a producer. But you mentioned Ray Scott and her hiring this guy, Ray Scott. So Ray Scott was the cameraman on Kukan, and he was the man who received the Academy Award mm-hmm. for Kukan. And he received the Academy Award for producing Kukan. So, you know, it's kind of a, you know, uh, if you connect the dots and you say she should have been credited as producer, you can connect another dot and say, well, she got cheated out of an Academy Award. And I think that that's something that's very topical today because we have, you know, controversy broiling over Oscars so white, Oscar so male, mm-hmm. and you know we can go back to 1941 and see sort of the sources of where that started from. Yeah, oh yeah, I I, I absolutely agree. And you, what I think you do in the film effectively is to provide the context for all of these things that you're describing. It was an era in which uh, Chinese Americans were marginalized. They had the Miscegenation laws. Thank you. That's you said but it correctly. I know that there's um... it essentially outlaws uh, inter so-called interracial marriages in in this country. It it's applied to various different ethnicities throughout the history of the United States. In this particular case, from 1850s to 1948, 45, something like that. It was actually against the law for a so a Caucasian American. To marry, or yeah, to marry uh, a, um, a Chinese. To marry an Asian. An Asian. Yeah, to yeah. marry any, across the board any Asian. And That's in fact, crazy. Uh, there are cases where white women married Asian males because there were many more Asian males in America. And the white women lost their citizenship when this they is... married the Asian male. So, so it, it was. Yeah. You know, that along very with, prejudicial. Yeah, that along with the, just the, the, the general, you know, uh, atmospherics around uh, that time uh, provide the yeah. context for why uh, Li Ling Ai is not the <laughs> correctly credited mm-hmm. for the work she did on this film. And it, again, it's a fascinating part of the film. I thought the people that you brought in to describe the situation and the circumstances were, were very effective in, in, in bringing us to an understanding that uh, about this. So yeah, let's... I just want to t- say one thing about Ray Scott because sure. yeah. he he was really an incredible character himself, and mm. I don't want to take anything away from Ray Scott. He did deserve that Academy Award. He was like he risked his life to take footage of China at war. He was right in the thick of things, and he was carrying around this handheld camera and Kodachrome film. Mm-hmm. 
He had never held a motion picture camera in his hands before he started filming Kukan. And he couldn't even look at his work because there wasn't a developing processing lab for Kodachrome in China. Mm-hmm. So he would have to wait until he got back to the United States to even look at his work. And um, so he was really a heroic character. And I think the two of them together were these renegade spirits. And that's one of the fun parts of the story that I discover is that these you know, these two renegade spirits meet up and they, they form a partnership and they say, let's do this crazy thing. And that's really what independent filmmaking is all about still yeah. today. It's yeah. like it really is a kind of crazy thing to take on a feature documentary with no funding and, you know, we're just going to do it ourselves and we want to get the word out about some some cause or some, you know, some character that's that no one else is paying attention to. So this is really the spirit behind the original Kukan. And and, and also, I, I think it's... Uh, it's we we shouldn't understate or underemphasize the importance of the footage that Ray Scott shot in in this battle for Chungking, uh, where uh, I think was there was thought to be no footage of this because this was a horrific uh, bombing campaign launched by the Japanese uh, throughout China. China was uh, I think in this country we have very little understanding of the situation in Nanking and all these different places where. Uh, these war crimes occurred, slaughters of thousands and thousands of people, rape, and it was a was a, a weapon of war uh, uh, that was brought down upon the people of China during this period of time. All kinds of things were going on. In the middle of all of this, Ray Scott, as you said, put his life on the line to document much of what happened there. Pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really incredible. And it turns out that this film, Kukan, is some of the only color footage of China from that time period. Mm-hmm. So they were really forward-thinking in deciding to film in color at that time. Amazing. Yeah, and uh, just to kind of put a little bit more of a context on um, Li Ling Ai's role in all this, Ray Scott going to China was certainly facilitated by the connections that he found through her family, who was in China at the time, um, and so helped make that all of that happen. It, I think it's fair to say I doubt Ray Scott would have gone to China without that sort of a, a support structure to, to help him through that. So, Li Ling Ai, what's fascinating is that she was very well connected in China and in America. So she came from a class of Chinese that was very sophisticated and well-educated. And her parents were physicians and they were activists. And they knew Chiang Kai-shek, the leader of China. Yes. They knew Sun Yat-sen personally. Yeah. So she was raised in a family that had government officials and high-powered people coming through their door day in, day out. And she was also raised to be politically active and to think that she could help change the world for the better. And, you know, that's really what this film is all about. It's an activist film to help raise awareness for what was going on in China, in America. I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Robin Lung, the uh, writer, director, producer of the film Finding Kukan. And Finding Kukan, let's spell it K-U-K-A-N. So findingkukan.com, you can find out more about the production, uh, uh, about the film itself, about the life 
of uh, Li Ling Dai, uh, and and what a remarkable person. And as I said earlier, you know, the film is obviously a, the f the focus of this film of your documentary on her, but she, as you alluded to earlier as well, she's sort of a performance artist. She managed to turn everything that came through to her in her life into an opportunity. And she used what her natural gifts were as a dancer, as an artist, as a, someone who was able to use this sophistication and this intelligence and this enthusiasm into, into a truly remarkable life, a truly remarkable life. Yeah, I really feel that she was ahead of her time, that if she were alive today, she would be some someone like a Madonna or a Lady Gaga. Mm -hmm. But at the time, she was so constrained by the laws against Chinese and the social mores about what women could and couldn't do that, you know, she was really kind of restricted. But uh, nevertheless, she she, you know, chose to remain single all of her life. She she. Made a, wrote a book. She was one of the first women on national television of color, yeah. you know, a woman of color co-hosting a program live on national TV. Yeah. Um, and she, she just was out there. She would say and do anything, you know. Yeah. Um, so I really still draw a lot of inspiration from her because there's something she dared to do, which even today I would think, oh, my gosh, you know, I, I would – quake at the thought of doing that and, and also I, I think it's it's no small part of the story that that she was able to provide a human face for the for for the chinese people in 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 a way that the as you we talked about earlier the united states is we're notorious for not knowing much about anything beyond our borders uh, even to this day, we we seem to not uh, we may we may know about a particular geography or a or a, a place, but we seem to not know or not want to know much about the peoples uh, from around the world. And certainly, especially when you go back to the 1940s and China and uh, and the how foreign all of that would have seemed to most Americans. And here she is. This very intelligent, vivacious woman, and you know, on and all the activities and all the things she did to, to shed a very positive light uh, on all of that is again another remarkable trait that she possessed. This ability to really make things happen, I and mean, it's incredible how many times she must have been down in her life by things that had happened, and yet she seemed to bounce back every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, um, you know, Kukan in, translated in English. It's a Chinese term, actually. And I think the Chinese pronounce it more like Kukan. It really means bitter struggle and to, you know, persevere against all the odds. And that really kind of describes Li Ling Ai's entire life because yeah. despite all of the things that were against her and the hurdles she had to get over, she accomplished a great deal and she was what uh, her i think her her niece called her um incandescent and people always describe her as someone who when she walked in the room the whole room lit up and mm -hmm. you could you know you instantly knew she was in the room mm -hmm. so that she had this 
spark and this magic that transcended all of the discriminatory rules and laws and the you know the mores that said that a woman can only do this and not do that and she found ways around everything to accomplish something in a, in her own way which was always colorful and yeah. always theatrical mm-hmm. and embellished with a lot of um you know pizzazz i like you know the word chutzpah yeah that really describes her her personality she had a lot of chutzpah i agree i i think free spirit is another phrase i would use to describe her and and i keep coming back to this with people who this sensibility gypsy there's a certain gypsy quality to her that she and I think part of what I'm describing in my in my perspective when I say that is the ability to adapt to circumstances and turn it into something that is closer to your own sensibilities and and make it your own, own it, and then do do something positive with it. And that's for me watching her and and, and the description of her life. That seemed to be what for me what she was about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But definitely she was, and that's really what attracted me to her as a character yeah. and really what makes me regret not having known her mm. and not being able to you know, sit with her face-to-face and get the full story. Well. And, but one of the things that I think women like that still today face is that there's, still, there's also a lot of criticism about women who go their own way and pave their own path. And Leeling, I also face a lot of criticism from her family and close friends, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting that we were able to delve into her letters and other people's letters, and we really have a lot of primary source documents that we pull from to tell that story of the the personal struggle she had to um, yeah. battle that criticism that was thrown at her for being someone who was out there and um, her own woman. Yeah, and, and now that you're, as you're talking about that, I think in your in Finding Kukan, you you hear and see that in some of the relatives that you, her relatives that you interview. I, you get that sense. And even with the Scott family, uh, there was something, you know, sort of hidden or something that was unspoken about the relationship between Ray and and uh, Li Ling I uh, that felt it felt it feels I would it's not dismissive that's not the word I'm looking for but it it just feels because not and I'm not implying that the uh, you know the Scott family was somehow didn't like her but it's just something about it was in the shadows if you will uh, the relationship what, whatever that might have been with Ray and her they they um, it, I. I don't, you know, what you're talking about, I, I, I agree with, and it's so glad, I'm so glad to see her life and her life story get an opportunity to be appreciated for what she did, so, through mm-hmm. the film, so, um, you know, thank you, thank you so much, um, the film, again, is Finding Kukan, you can go to the website to find out more about it, uh, Finding Kukan, K-U-K-A-N, dot com to find out about it and the and uh, the different places it is, will be screening go to the website you can figure out all this stuff 
Um, and um, I just want to say thank you. Um, thank you for the film, the work. This is a seven-year project. I'm sure it's been a labor of love and frustration and love and and all the other things that go along with something that you obviously believe in. And it's I'm sure it's been uh, very rewarding for you on, as a filmmaker and as a person as well. So. Yes, it's been an incredible journey, and you know, part of the journey is sharing it with the audience. And our world premiere was amazing, and the audience reaction was so profound. And people would come up to me afterwards to thank me, and they had tears in their eyes. And it it just is that's just so gratifying. And I really hope that listeners will have a chance to see it in a theater and um, come up to me afterwards and say hi. Well, Yes, and if and if you're in Los Angeles, and you said April, I believe is when APA is uh, is going to be uh, underway, the Asian Pacific American Film Festival. You'll be here for that, I assume. Um, yes, if it comes to LA, I will definitely be there. Great, and also I want to congratulate uh, the is it Michelle Scott who did the portrait, who did the the painting uh, of her. Yes, Michelle Scott is um, Ray Scott's granddaughter right. who came to Ray Scott's story in the same way I sort of I came to Li Ling Ai's story. She she didn't her grandfather died when she was very small. She didn't know anything about his Oscar accomplishments and she just found this stack of photographs in the basement and she became enamored with them and wanted to find out more about her grandfather. Yeah. So she she's a character in my film. Yeah. And she started creating this wonderful series of art pieces yeah. based on her grandfather's photographs. They're beautiful. It's a beautiful work. And uh, uh yeah, her work is really striking and really uh the the what she did, I assume that the the painting that she she did with the photograph of uh Liling Ai is is that her? I I'm I hope I'm correct yes, in assuming uh, that. Yeah. That's her the painting with um Liling Ai facing forward, staring at the camera, yeah. with this beautiful Chinese headdress on. Yes. That's, that's uh, Michelle's. Michelle Scott's work. And we also adapted Michelle Scott's work for our poster, our mm-hmm. theatrical poster, which you'll be able to see soon on our website. Excellent. Well, I, Robin, thank you so very much for, for coming on Film School, and thank you so much for the film, uh, Finding Kukan. Well, thank you. I... I um, Really appreciate being on the show and Thank you. having you tell more people about our film. Well, my pleasure. Uh, it's one of the great joys that I that I have an opportunity to do this. I'm so blessed to be able to do this show and to be able to talk to such wonderful filmmakers as yourself. So thank you for being here. And uh, we'll be back in touch, hopefully, when you come out here for APA. So thank you. Okay, Mike. Aloha. Aloha to you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.